part two of our interview with brand new Chief Executive Officer of the Cardano Foundation, Fred Griegard, on this edition of your Cardano Update. Hello Cardonians everywhere, I'm James Kiever with United States of Cardano with you on this Friday the 13th, November the 13th, 2020 that is, and today we wrap up our interview with Chief Executive Officer of the Cardano Foundation, Fred Griegard. Now just a reminder, we're conducting this interview today as a citizen journalist and not an entity sponsored by a stake pool. And with all that said, Fred Griegard, the brand new Chief Executive Officer for the Cardano Foundation, continuing on in our conversation as he begins with the Cardano Foundation at a time with the imminent release of Gogan, the successful launch of Shelley. It's just history in the making. Now, last we went over your plans for the Cardano Foundation. Now I'd like to focus a little bit more on you your background and your leadership philosophy. I've spent a lot of time watching previous interviews you've done. You've constantly talked about trust, uh, existing trust and abundant trust. And I wondered if you could explain for our audience the difference between these two terms. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, you put me on the spot because the one thing is about the business models in the world society and another thing is about leadership style, right? So let me start on the first part, right? So I believe that if you have, let's say, zero trust around here, and then society has built up different functionalities to go to a certain trust level. Now, this is today covered by the intermediaries, by the banks, by the governments, by, you know, the rules of society, really, right? It brings us to a certain place. Now, from, from that place and then further out is to abundant trust, and we probably will never reach abundant trust because when the stakes gets too high, we, we just, you know, we tend to want to feel it. You know, it's like you don't want to buy a house online, you know? You want to go there, you want to meet the previous owner, even though the title company has some information and in the fiduciary, you want to see the, you know, you want to see the bricks and all of those things. And I think the changing business models around many of these new uh, review platforms, um, you know, OTAs and stuff like that, is really showing that the world has changed. That combined with drones and so on basically leads us into a place where the way we have constructed trust today doesn't really work and scale in the future. So this gap is just getting bigger. On the um, yeah, so that's the first part, right? And that creates insecurity and that creates polarization around how to go forward and how to use technology, but also these emerging business models as borders erode, right? So I think that's the, that's the first part. And that's, that, that will mean a big change, a big, uh, yeah, we need to change um, to go forward. Now, that also kind of brings us to the second point, which is around, we are going from an information age, an age based on academic and research, to a misinformation age. It is simply not possible anymore to know what is the truth, right? And I think that's where blockchain really can come in and help us. Because if we cannot decide as a human race what ultimately is the truth, if we cannot agree to what is the truth, how can we solve these big problems who lie ahead of us and which just, you know, keep compiling, right? I think if COVID-19 showed us one thing is that we are actually able as a society to close down the economic fair, right? We nearly closed down countries. We closed down huge regions due to COVID-19. So it turns out that if the disaster is big enough, we can actually come together. So I just would like us to, to do that much more structured, 
and in a much better way, much more coordinated around the world. And I think blockchain fits in there. I totally from a agree. Leadership yeah, from a leadership perspective, which is the other part you're you're asking about, is that um, I have some very clear leadership principles about how I lead my teams and how I do different things. And it's probably too much or too details to get into here, right? But I believe that I, I you know, trust doesn't come because of a title. So just because I'm the new CEO, I cannot just expect everybody to trust me. And specifically in the role I'm in here today, right, as, the, as a nonprofit uh, organization who is sort of trying to position themselves in a, in a value web with a community of hundreds and thousands of people who don't know me and don't know what we do and don't have any legal ties and connections or liabilities toward us, right? I need to earn that trust. And um, so I, I really respect that. I just, I don't expect people to trust me just because I come in. And uh, I work around, for instance, brutal honesty and transparency and accountability. And that means that I, I love feedback. And sometimes I, it, it, it's hard to get feedback. It, 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 you know, it goes against your soul because you're doing, the right, you're, you're doing the right thing out of the right reasons, right? But suddenly you don't see the Yuhari's window behind you. And you're like, oh, if I just known that. Mm -hmm. And what I've learned uh, in, the, in the last four years in PwC, I had some, some really good mentoring. Uh, uh, specifically from a, from, a, from, a, from a couple of gentlemen outside PwC, they learned me about something called MG Taylor. And that is really about how we can gain trust, how we can design for trust among humans. And there are some architectural aspects, so not IT architectural, but really architectural. So how you build spaces and how you do these online things. But there's also things from Montessori and other aspects which you know, led me to believe that, you know, people are not rational. We are not rational beings. I've been quoted so many times and saying, you know, we are all <laughs> rational beings and all those, you know, behavioral theory. But when it comes to things, we are very emotional beings. We are very political animals. And um, I'm trying every day to, to be more engaged in the political and emotional aspects and not just take for granted that people are rational. Yeah. That's also what I'm bringing into my leadership stuff. Very good. I got to move this along because I got a couple more questions and not that much time. Now, you did an interview with Ziggurat Innovation and Technology Business School, and I'd really like to take a quick look. So what is the future going to life? Well, from a business perspective, it's very easy. Every company out there today will be in competition with the same type of company, which is blockchain-based, because the way they sell their products, the way they bring trust around the product and value proposition, the way the value chain around that is going to be operated is going to have a blockchain component going forward. Is it going to be only blockchain? No, it's not. But that means that's going to be two companies in the world that's going to be those who's blockchain based and they're going to be the ones who's not. And the blockchain based is going to conquer the other ones. It's just a matter of a long enough time frame. So is it reasonable to conclude that there's going to be a decentralized blockchain-based Wikipedia versus the Wikipedia that we have now, or a decentralized blockchain-based Uber against the Uber of today? I mean, what other types of companies do you see being most ripe for blockchain clone disruption? I truly believe that all companies of the future will have a blockchain-enabled uh, competitor doing exactly the same, just based on blockchain. And that will win every single time. Now, that doesn't mean that it necessarily always a decentralized and open source, but I truly believe that that is the right way to go forward. Now, 
Yes, to your, your, to your answer is very simple. Yes, I do think there will be a Wikipedia which will be blockchain-based because the incentive models around Wikipedia is great about self-censorship and so on, but we see time and time again it's, it's, it's not accurate, right? So, um, so yes, I, I do believe that, yeah. And uh, the ones who's going to start is the one who has a digital business model, is the one who is digital only. And that's why banking is at the forefront because we had digital money since, you know, you know, since the 80s, basically, right? Yeah. So everything where the value chain from it starts to the stop stays in digital, they are going to be the first one. Every well, time you touch the physical space, so you go out and you have to touch a sensor or you have to touch, you know, a machine, we're going into IoT. And that's the big weakness we're seeing right now. It is super complicated to bring that trust level from blockchains into the physical world. So every time we connect to something physical, that's going to be the second row of innovation. Yeah, and this kind of touches on my next question. It normally takes venture capital money to get these projects off the grounds uh, these days. Can future eBay, PayPal, and Amazon clones leapfrog the long process of securing funding due to the Cardano infrastructure? I mean, what advantages might blockchain clone companies have over traditional projects in the context of a startup advantage? Well, now you're getting really personal, right? So you mentioned companies who has extremely different business models, but they're pretty big in size. So I was having a look in the market the other day, right? And I saw that Zoom has actually a bigger market value than ExxonMobil. So we have to kind of think about that, right? So before COVID, so, you know, like six, seven months ago, right? This was definitely not the case. And if you look at such a capital uh, intensive industry as, as oil and energy, right? How can that not be worth more than than Zoom, right? So I think the amount of companies and how they position themselves, as you said right now, is super important. And we cannot just put everybody on one boat. Uh, but the matter of the fact is that some of the companies are now driving business models, which I think hopefully would not succeed in the future. Because if it can really be so that the most precious you know, resource we have, which is the private individual, if they're not being empowered, if they're not the ultimate resource until we get a general AI, um, then I think personally we are doing something wrong. So when people trade in people or people, you know, have a business model around attention extraction, um, you know, and you know, you as a user, if, every, if it's, everything is free, you have to ask yourself the question, no, there's something wrong here. Um, so nothing is for free in this world. And I think that some of these business models will simply cease to exist when the, when the people understand what is being traded. Yeah. Right? Now, Fred, we, we got a physical business models which needs this blockchain now, but then all the one in the ecosystem, so downstream from the, in the, in the supply chain, if they don't jump on the blockchain wagon, we don't get the added value. And then we need to wait. Mm -hmm. And there's, uh, and that's mm -hmm. not about businesses, it's about people. It's yeah. about institutions and it's about culture. It's about we are slaves of our legacy. We are slaves of how you used to do it. And we need to start rethinking that. And that's probably why somebody now can send a, a rocket to the moon mm -hmm. and, and then have it flying back and land without mm -hmm. using a parachute for about, you know, you know 40, 50% cheaper price 
than the best brains in the world who are still sending uh, the old side rockets up. Yeah, right? it's very incredible. Now, listen, we've got two more questions in almost no time. Recently, you left a very senior position at PwC. What would you say is the sentiment of the professional services firms like PwC, EY, uh, Accenture, helping their clients leverage blockchain in the smart contracts or DApp space, maybe even on Cardano's platform? Sorry, the sentiment? Yeah, like, uh, what would you say uh, is the sentiment of these professional services? Are they interested in helping their clients leverage blockchain, use smart contracts or dApps, uh, maybe even eyeballing Cardano's platform? Are they interested in, in maybe the yeah, DeFi? They're, they're all in. They're all in. They they fully understand that in the in the past, the, you know, if you kind of look at the big four, right? Their their purpose in society is to bring trust into balance sheets, right? So they're fully equipped in that trust equation. And as we are now moving to a different infrastructure, which is not so dependent on double bookkeeping, but we're moving more towards we can think about as triple bookkeeping. And we also now start operating with autonomous organizations, and we start think in the whole way in cooperation and the legislation is working, it's not really fit to purpose towards, you know, these new business models. All of them are full in. And you see, uh, you know, where I'm coming from, we have, you know, just bought a really interesting uh, company who's into smart contract reviews, right? Because we're all seen on some of these, um, I'm always trying not to mention words, but on some of these large smart contract uh, uh, you know, platforms, there's a lot of issues around trust, right? So if people cannot basically qualify and justify all those lines of code, I mean, that fits perfectly well into the big force value proposition around, you know, uh, solving trust in society and solving trust in balance sheets and businesses. So I think they're all in. Huh? Uh, now, are they moving with the speed they should? Well, in my opinion, not. In my <laughs> opinion, they still are a bit caught in the old way, right? But I think they understood it. And uh, at least where I'm coming from, and we were a part of building the two first banks uh, based on blockchain or blockchain banks in the world. We were part of the biggest projects around tokenization and asset management, CBDCs and so on. Right. So I, I think it's really going. But, you know, this is giants. This mm -hmm. is structural important giants. If they go out of the trust ecosystem today, a lot of businesses cannot operate. And you saw that also with COVID-19 around the health packages, right? Mm -hmm. So with a tanker, uh, change doesn't happen that fast. But mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm, I'm in contact with all big fours and uh, they have people like me and all of them. And, and I think they're, they're investing in it and they're seeing mm -hmm. it. Huh? Now, uh, last question, and I try to make the final question a bit more on the personal side. You harp a lot on trust. It's something you're passionate about. We discussed it in this interview even, but what is it from your background that makes this topic of trust so important to you? To you? Did, did something happen professionally or even personally that makes trust so important? Yes, um, but I, I'm not able to pinpoint exactly where this happened and so on. And I, I will have tons of examples, right? But um, and I, I had the I had the pleasure when I was very young uh, to lead to lead fine young gentlemen into a war zone, and uh, when you are behind enemy lines or when you are leading small distributed teams, um, you know uh, you learn a lot and you learn very fast. And uh, I was back then very um, potentially a little bit arrogant, and I thought that you know you know my rank or my title or what I've done in the past also 
you know, deserve certain actions going forward. So I got some really hard learnings from a leadership style there that you cannot just expect trust. Trust is earned. And then uh, as an investment banker and building infrastructure for, for several hundred banks and asset managers, uh, you learn a lot under the Lehman and the financial crisis when you see that all of this, you know, institutionalized safeties, they just don't work suddenly. And uh, you've been part of setting up uh, clearing and settlement and suddenly, you know, people go out of business, not because they were not right, because everything was correctly set up, but simply because of time. So suddenly liquidity becomes a factor of time and then people get fired and out of business and they did everything correct. They did everything they were supposed to do. Uh, so, yes, I, I, I don't know exactly where among this journey this became so important for me, but um, it seems like everything I do, I'm, I have to trust people. I have to trust systems and I have to have this skepticism around Yes, we can do things better. Yeah, it's a definite. It's interesting. It is definitely an interesting perspective. Uh, I, I really appreciate hearing about it. Fred Griegard, first chief executive officer of the Cardano Foundation. We couldn't be more grateful to talk with you as you begin this journey. Would really love to talk to you again soon after you've had a chance to get your hands dirty in the job. Maybe uh, the end of December we can talk again, like a 2020 year in review interview. Sure. To do so. Awesome. Thanks again for talking to us, and we look forward to working with you and the Cardano Foundation in the future. And that's our show for you today. Please like the video by hitting that thumbs up icon. We're always asking you to do it, but it really does help push our show through YouTube's algorithm. Also, subscribe to our channel if you're not already, and consider United States of Cardano, ticker USA01, for all your Cardano staking needs. Now, if you missed the first part of our interview with Fred Griegard, simply click this link, and through the magic of YouTube, you'll be teleported to the first show in the blink of an eye. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's been a pleasure hosting this show for you today. We look forward to doing it again next time. I'm James Kiever, and that's your Cardano Update.